1: Inside Sources with Lloyd Matheson.
0: President Xi of China has done what no modern leader of China has done for quite some time: secure a third five-year term. The tightly choreographed 20th Communist Party Congress saw Xi uh, also uh, install a new uh, Politburo Standing Committee, strong loyalist. He pushed out a lot of the moderates and dissenting voices. Uh, and this is a conversation that we've got to get to in a meaningful, significant way. And, of course, we're always pleased to have joining us on the program Ian Johnson. He's the uh, Stephen A. Schwartzman Senior Fellow for China Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations, nonpartisan think, uh, think tank. And, uh, Ian, always appreciate your perspective on this. I know you watched this closely over the weekend. Uh, first, just give us some, some high-level uh, observations in terms of how that all played out.
2: Yeah, it was like Super Bowl weekend or something for Chinese politics. <laughs> yeah, just a lot more boring, and the uh, the outcome was already known. So it was, it was weird, but but it was still yeah. No, it was a uh, it was it was interesting because I, I think everybody knew she was going to get a third term, but just to see him actually get it, um, that was kind of norm busting and highly significant. And then the people he installed around him. Was a bit of a surprise, and I think we've seen that and how some markets have reacted today in, in Asia, stock markets tanking in places like Hong Kong. People were sort of surprised at, at the um, at, at the relative lack of at the lack of reformers surrounded by, surrounding him.
0: Yeah, and I think so. that's so interesting. Uh, g- give us your take on uh, what has been replayed a lot in terms of kind of the the instant uh, crazy moment of his uh, predecessor sort of being escorted out of the room in an empty chair uh, next to that uh, first seat of power. Uh, What are the messages there? What are you hearing in terms of how that really went down and what it really means?
2: Well, yeah, his predecessor, Hu Jintao, who ran China from 2002 to uh, 2012 and who was the immediate predecessor... Of, of Xi Jinping, yeah, he, he was sitting there, and, and unlike other Chinese leaders he, who dye their hair jet black, uh, he had gray hair, and he looked quite feeble. I mean, he's not, he's not that old; he's 79, but he didn't look to be all there. Then there's this weird scene where he's fumbling for some papers, and the guy next to him is sort of talking to him a little bit, and then two guys come come out some bodyguards come and sort of escort this guy off the dais. And, and he's no longer there. Um, now you could see this as a way to show definitively that Xi Jinping has no rivals, that even his predecessor has been sidelined. Um, I, I don't know. It seemed like a weird messaging to me because later that day in, in, in Beijing on the evening news it was of course state controlled, the, the former leader, that guy Hu Jintao, was there. Um, he was shown on the dice before he was taken off just to show that everything's kind of normal. So I don't see why, if you wanted to sort of humiliate him and have him taken off stage, that that you would then show him on the evening news as having mm-hmm. been there. You see what I mean? Yeah. So I, I kind of think he probably just was old and having some kind of a a moment. Um, but it's certainly symbolically you could see that yeah. he's gone and Xi Jinping is there alone
3: Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.
0: Yeah, so let's, let's break down some of the things that uh, President Xi said over the weekend. Uh, obviously, it's uh, uh, it was... Some very interesting echoes for me anyway and, and some things we've heard out of Vladimir Putin of late in terms of reunification. And it's kind of us against the world, the dangers out there, painting worst case scenarios. Uh, I I think by one tabulation, he used the word safety and security like 89, 90 times in the speech. Uh, as someone who follows this really closely, what was your take on this on the speech itself?
2: Well, he's. Painting a world where China, China used Chinese leaders used to say, from the eighties, the nineties, the two thousand, that China was in a favorable international situation, which was true. It was the Cold War was ending, relations with the U.S. and and other countries were improving. China could take advantage of that to develop an export economy, etc. Now this has changed, but what he didn't say is that this is largely over the past decade because of his policies of a much more aggressive foreign policy that's alienated countries around the world. I mean, there's no, if you can remember a decade ago, people were still talking about China as a potential strategic partner. I don't know anybody who seriously would make that case anymore after the past decade of 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 his kind of bellicose um, policies. So. Yeah, he's he's right to emphasize that they're in a bad international environment, but he doesn't seem to get the reason for it.
0: Yeah, and that's uh, that is a really striking thing to me as as you look at how that all plays out. Give us some uh, some projection back here at home. Uh, obviously, we compete with China on a whole host of things. We're <laughs> going back and forth on a, on a number of things, from human rights to religious liberties to. Uh, uh, patents and uh, international law and, and a host of other things, uh, and at the same time, we also have this very interconnected uh, economy and the economics of it all. Uh, how do you see this uh, playing? Does it change anything? What does it do uh, for the United States moving forward? Well, I think there's a couple of things.
2: I don't want to be you know, always so negative, but I do think that in this case, it implies that there's one thing we could always count on in the past, and that was that regardless of how the international economy went, regardless of how our economy was going, there was always a strong Chinese economy out there that was growing, that was needing some of our exports, needing more Boeing planes or or whatever, right? And now you can't really take that for granted anymore. The Chinese economy has not been doing that well over the past couple of years. I don't mean that it's going to flip into recession or become – some kind of an economic basket case or something like that. But the idea that we always have had, a whole generation, I think, has had of China being this economic juggernaut, just unstoppable, powering forward with double-digit economic growth, that's passed. And that's a challenge for us to some degree because it um, means that we can't rely on China to help pull the world Mm. economy along. Um, And we have stormy weather ahead for us, for everybody in the world, it looks like, And we won't have that Chinese strong sort of economic growth to help stabilize things. But it also probably means, you know, a China that is um, not able to overtake the U.S. as quickly as people thought in terms of the size of its economy. Mm -hmm. Um, And that could, uh, you know, that could cause China to perhaps be a little less bellicose. I'm afraid it may not. It may push people to do more foreign more
0: adventurism you know overseas yeah so uh great insight as always ian johnson's the stephen a Schwartzman senior fellow for china studies at the council on foreign relations Ian, we always appreciate you weighing in great perspective on china and uh, so much more to watch Uh, we'll be back in touch real soon okay talk soon all right we'll step aside for some bottom of the hour news as the midterms enter their final weeks democrats are Beginning to change the conversation and the message. Will it make a difference? What is the message? Carly Cooperman from Shone Cooperman Research is going to join us for our special segment coming up next. Stick around. We'll be right back.
1: I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold.